You're listening to Boston Strongcast, a place where we talk all things powerlifting, strength, and the occasional scientific nerd session. I'm your host, Kevin Can, the owner of Precision Powerlifting Systems, strength coach and competitive powerlifter in the USAPL. Thanks for tuning in, and let's get stronger together. Hey guys, this is Kevin Can with Boston Strongcast. I'm going to do a little solo episode today. This is kind of kind of go in line with the last couple of um, articles that I that I wrote up on the Precision Powerlifting Systems webpage on the on the blogs. Um, recently, I, it's come to my um, I became aware that I've been coaching in this sport for about a little over five years now. Um, when I had first started, so, you know, I, I had a lot of coaching experience. It was mostly with high school athletes and a few adult fitness classes and stuff. And, you know, you had your general ideas of what a squat and bench press and deadlift should look like. Um, you know, and we do, we did those, those things occasionally, but before I, uh, before I, I, you know, I literally, so let's even back up. So, you know, I was doing that for a while. The money sucks. Um, and it, it, it was, it's, it was tough. So I actually took a break from coaching for a while cause I got so burnt out. So I went and taught at a school. It was a secondary education school for, you know, be, people who wanted to become personal trainers. So it was a, you know, the, they were all adults and stuff and I had fun. It just got boring cause it's basically teaching the same thing three months, every three months. My hours got cut there and I needed a part-time job. So I ended up at TPS. And it was there that I actually, I learned how to get people strong. I had no fucking idea. I was using, you know, I kind of, I guess, just latched on to the narrative that movement quality trumps everything else. So if you just move more, you know, in, in quotations, more efficiently, that you'll be faster, you'll jump higher, less injury prone, you'll be stronger, like all of those things. Um, you know, I think it makes coaching really easy, right? Because you get this, this assessment that you do and it kind of gives you a guide on, oh, well, this test didn't go well, so he, here are the fixes and you can't do X, Y, and Z because of this asymmetry or this lack of movement option that you're displaying in a test. Um, you know, and I think what it does is one, it really makes your choices as a coach very, very narrow. If it's taking stuff off and it's putting movement in this tiny little box, then it becomes very easy as a coach because there's not a lot of things to choose from. You throw them on the ground, they do some crawling exercises, you can give some, what sounds like a very logical narrative to, again, in quotations, correct their issues. But what I, you know, what I would soon learn is that strength would be the thing that actually corrects a lot of these issues. So I started working at TPS and literally had no idea how to get people strong. Um, so when I first started there, you know, they make everybody intern, um, before they actually get into it. So I started interning for their, their method program. This is a, it's a pretty well run adult, we'll call it like strength camp. They do some like cardio stuff too, but like just from taking being in there, and usually, you know, because I was the, the lesser senior person, 
I would be with the newer people. And the first eight weeks of this program kind of broke up the lifts and you'd have to kind of teach the lifts from start to finish. And this was a really good uh, situation for me to be in as a coach, looking back at it. it. It taught me, it gave me the basics on how to teach the squat. Uh, they didn't bench press um, in this. They, they did the overhead press, but to teach the squat and the deadlift anyways. And you get to watch a lot of them, and they're just, you know, general fitness classes. They don't really care. They come from all different walks of life. They're all different shapes and sizes. So you get a lot of hands-on experience of coaching those lifts. So that's kind of where it started for me, and I think this moment in time was extremely important for me because, uh, you know, like I was saying before, we squatted and did those things, but I had no idea what I was doing. They were good enough, but... You know, this this was starting to learn like a higher quality way of doing these things. So, you know, fast forward a less than a year, I became the director, so I was there full time, so I even got more exposures to this stuff. Uh, and my MMA stuff kind of went away, so I was like, fuck it, I'm gonna get into powerlifting. I'll start training with uh, everybody at noontime. So all the staff trained at noon, and this again, this was a great experience because now I'm going through it. So I'm learning how to lift and getting that perspective as a lifter on how to do these things. Very shortly after this, I was fortunate enough that Boris Shako came there, did a seminar. And the next three years, he was my coach. So I learned how to lay the groundwork for a, for a program, how to follow those general principles, write those things out, how to track all that data. And over time, so I forced an intern to train with me and made her kind of go through the same thing. And the group ends up growing over time. So in the beginning, we ran a very um, Chico-like program. So he had come, he had done two seminars, and because of my constant communication with him and stuff, this is all I knew. So it was all percentage-based, about 60% of it was variations. The majority of the work was done between 75 and 85% of 1RM. There were, I want to say, roughly upwards of maybe 20% of my total volume within the lifts was 90% or greater, but that, that would be with deadlift off blocks or bench with boards. And if the squats were going to get heavier, there'd be added chain weight that would kind of bring that percentage up a little bit if you threw the chains on there. But it was very, basically the goal was you wanted every rep to look the same so that you're training the same movement pattern over and over. That if there was a deviation from this movement pattern, so let's say you're doing a set of four reps, all four reps look different. Then, you know, the idea was that you were training four different movement patterns. So I had set this up and we had done this. And we had very good success for a long period of time. And I tracked all the data. I manipulated volumes, average intensities, all of this stuff. So eventually, it stops working. Right? And like, as a coach, and I think just as a person in general, I've always been pretty observant upon things that I see. So I noticed that when we would test. So basically the way that these programs would work is it was kind of set up so you'd you'd run through it, right? There'd be X amount of number of lifts at whatever average intensity. Variations would be there to fix the technical issues that you saw within the lifts. And 
every so often you would test your lifts. Usually this would come about three weeks out from a competition. So hopefully when you test your lifts, you see some improvement and then you could just run the same thing all over again. And with that step loading process, it kind of, the volumes go up. Average intensities would say that stay the same, but now it's an average intensity of a, a newer one RM. So volumes go up over time and you just run this and then, you know, eventually when you get stuck, you could add more. So when my lifters were getting stuck, I noticed that anytime we had one of these tests, that their confidence and the anxiety and you know, there just wasn't the confidence there. They were nervous, they were anxious, and sometimes the tests wouldn't go well. And they put so much emphasis on these tests. And some of them had a really hard time emotionally handling them. So I, I knew that was a problem. Now, when I was, you know, I, I still had this like belief that. And it's not that this is wrong. It's just it works until it doesn't, right? That manipulating those volumes and intensities. Like I could just add more volume and they should get better. But the problem is, is I'm dealing with lifters who have full-time jobs and they have lives outside of the gym. It's not like I have these world champion lifters that don't have jobs, can train whenever they want and do all of these other things. And with those extra responsibilities that my lifters have, there comes with it extra external stress. Now, not all stress is created equal and all of that stuff, but at some point, stress is stress. If you have a job and there's time constraints and there's other things you want to do, like those things do pile up and they can become an issue at a, at a period of time. So I get to the point where it's like, I don't know if we can really add more, but I think we can lift a little heavier. So I wasn't like full board, like let's, you know, daily max singles, like all of these things. I gradually increased the intensity of lifting over time. Now, at this same moment in time, I had, you know, basically I had a very small group of lifters. Most of them weren't even paying me at the time. Uh, as I was trying to like learn these things, but like looking back, the funny part is, is like my attitude was just like, I, I knew it all. Like, you know, fuck West Side. That's for equipped lifting and won't work for raw lifting. Like I was just regurgitating the words of basically the community in which I lifted in. And the majority of that community has less than five years experience in the sport. So it's a bunch of basically beginners just shouting loud about these things not working. Um, and... I guess I, I I added to that to that voice, but you know again I was fortunate enough that I had a very good coach that was guiding the process along the way, so at least I wasn't going to be totally misdirected um, right right from the start. So I decided that we were going to lift heavier. Now at the same time I'm using the acute chronic work ratio, so basically I. My thinking was, and I was so sure, I was so right at, at the time that if our weekly volumes and average intensities and stuff got too, too high, that it was higher than what we were prepared to handle, that we'd run into problems. And of course, this is true up to a certain extent, but no coach is writing a program that's going to be completely thrown off. Now, the interesting part is like when I was using this, I was noticing that leading up into a meet... 
our chronic workloads were drops were dropped pretty significantly because after that test week there's a a large drop in volume and a smaller drop smaller more gradual drop in intensity so you'd see these acute chronic work ratios that fall below the recommended lower input of it and then obviously you get a little bit of a spike in workload out of meat and nobody's getting hurt so that started to like raise some questions but what, what I was doing is I was giving them a little leeway on one day to push weights a little bit, but I held them within reasons. So I gave them what I called intensity intervals. So it could go up anywhere from like 5 to 10% or down anywhere from 5 to 10%. There was a sliding scale, but there was a ceiling on it. And based off of what they did on day one, they may have to lower the weights and just take an even lighter day on day two or day three or whatever it was so that that ratio would still balance out at the end. So at the end of the day, they were still doing the exact same amount of work. So it wasn't messing with the data that I was collecting, the volumes, intensities, and all of this. And it helped a little bit, but, you know, similar things. You know, fast forward years now. So like over time, you know, there were there have been a bunch of coaches that have helped me out along the way, other lifters. And we started running something that was a lot more intensity based so we were working up to a we are we're still doing this up to a top set so a top set is what i what i was calling anything between an eight and a half and a nine and a half and yeah you know even though i criticize periodization a lot like people need to remember one thing like i write and speak a lot about theoretical concepts but when i actually practically apply this stuff our programs don't look that much different than everybody else's it's just maybe our reasoning is a little bit different, but on paper, they're still very similar. A nine and a half is still submax weights. We're just getting one set at a nine and a half instead of four, five, or six sets that get us to a nine. Just because, you know, the more work you do, the more tired you get. So we, each set has fatigue carried in from the set before, and you're, you know, at some point you're getting into the um, those higher RPEs. So we're doing these, you know, these top sets each day in the gym and our totals are just like skyrocketing. Like, I mean, so many people put a lot of weight on their total, right? So obviously looking back at it now, it's because we weren't lifting heavy enough before. So all of a sudden we haven't really touched upon it in the gym. You know, like Louis Simmons talks about this in the West Side Book of Methods that, you know, good power lifters need to train different aspects of strength. So your absolute strength, your your <laughs> speed strength, strength endurance, all of those things. So we had done the majority of our work between 75 and 85 percent of 1RM. Our technique looked pretty good. So we were handling some of those components of it. We were getting good practice doing the, that technique, right? You're doing a lot of reps. But, you know, where our strength is increasing, but it's, you know, it's on a different portion of that force velocity curve than absolute strength. We weren't testing our absolute strength before. And now all of a sudden we were. Because a lot of these lifters, even though you tell them eight and a half to a nine and a half, to them, a lot of them would just max out every time anyways. And the ones who maxed out every time, or more frequently, I shouldn't say every time. The ones who maxed out more frequently saw better results than the ones that didn't. But what I did notice was, even though our absolute strength is going up, 
as that's happening, we're moving slower. Obviously, the weight is heavier. I get, I get that component of it, but I'm not just talking about the concentric, the way up on a squat, the way up on a bench or a deadlift. I'm talking about the way down on a squat, the way down on a bench press, like the ability to strain and all of that stuff. We really trained hard, and people have started to like really come around and show us skill to do those things. And it's led to our strength continuing to increase. My guess is for, you know, at a period of time, that's going to come back and and bite us in the uh, bite us in the ass. So, you know, I I was thinking a lot like recently. So, you know, perhaps I swung the pendulum a little bit too far um, towards the absolute strength range of things. I don't know, like my idea when I, in my head when I was doing this, because I do believe that getting reps in all different intensity zones is, is really important. And when you actually look at, you know, like I know the Russians, the majority of the work is done between 75 and 85% with, you know, a few reps at 90% or greater. And even the Bulgarians and the Greeks and stuff, when you look at their, their programs, so I remember seeing something with the Greek weightlifting team. So, you know, it's all percentage based, but they would basically take, you know, a single at 90, single at 95, single at 100. So you're getting about three reps at 90 to 100 percent. But on the way up, they would take multiple sets at 80, multiple sets at 85 and sometimes multiple sets at 75. So they were still getting, you know, the majority of their reps were still within those same percentage points as the Russians. There was, you know, a lot of similarities there. And if they missed the 100, they would get more reps. You know, they might go back down to 80% and do a two by two type of thing. Now, one of the, um, you know, when we look at like the Bulgarians, so I, I would use their and the Greeks, like they, they would max out frequently on their lifts. And these were daily singles, basically, sometimes multiple times a day. So this is kind of, you know, my thinking when we get hard sets and stuff. I left the reps in. So we were doing, you know, sets of five, then sets of four, then sets of three. Like, even though I, I talk poorly about periodization, it's still a decent starting point. Like, there's a reason why it, it stuck around as you know long as what it did and how so many people use it and stuff is because it, it works it works a lot of the time so i think it's a good starting point and you know i think starting simple so a little linear approach to things seems to make the most sense to me and then we adjust you know day to day week to week so even though it starts that way it doesn't necessarily run clean to the finish like there's there's a lot of adjustments that that we were making but i kept reps in there because that's just, you know, what I felt, you know, everybody does. So it's, it's hard to get, get rid of reps. And also, so I, you know, leading up to the top set, I thought the warm-ups would be appropriate enough to keep speed, technique, and all of those things that we practice so often uh, when we were doing more of a Shaco-based uh, program thing. But when you get a set of five, that right, even if the set of five is a 10, right, just for simple math, that means the fourth rep is an RPE nine, the third rep is an eight, 
the second rep is a seven and the first rep is a six. So in a set like that, you're still getting work within those intensity ranges all within the the same set. And my thinking was that, you know, if the fifth one's really hard, now you're training that absolute strength. So I'm going to rewind a little bit here because during this whole process, I started questioning some of the, you know, I think in powerlifting, a lot of the beliefs and the program is programming is centered around these dogmatic beliefs that, um, may or may not necessarily be true. It doesn't mean we should discard them. We should still listen to them, but we need to put some some thought um, into them. So, you know, reading some stuff, I, uh, the hypertrophy verse, you know, is it necessary or to increase strength type stuff. So then I, I reached out to Dr. Lonecki, had a conversation with him. And after talking to him, it really got my wheels spinning. And it was especially one thing that he had said. So he said the periodization research is pretty strong, showing that it works, of course, but there's reasons for this, right? So if you ask John Kiley, John Kiley will tell you it's the variation. You know, variation's important for progress, and that's probably why periodization works. But Lenicky said that he thinks it works because you're getting closer to 1RM. So in, in the literature, you know, one group might run sets of 10 for the entire period of the training study, while one group might go 10s, then 8s, then 6s, then 4s, then 2s, then, then singles. So he thinks it shows greater benefits because you're getting closer to that 1RM. And the closer you get to 1RM, the more you're training that specific, um, the skill of strength, if you will. So in my head, I started to think, well, a set of five is certainly not as specific as a single would be. And it started to raise a lot of, uh, just a lot of questions and like a lot of uncertainty, I guess, in, in my mind. So I digested it for a bit, thought about it, tried to get my hands on as many different training styles that might utilize something similar to that and kind of read and try to understand what they're doing. And then I was like, you know, I had this idea, so I had reached out to him. And I was like, theoretically speaking, you know, would it just be best to take heavy singles every single day? You know, of course, there's going to be fatigue will build up, you you know, when you throw in multiple lifts, right? So if you look at the weightlifting stuff, like the Bulgarians and the Greeks, yeah, they use the squat. That's one of the exercises. But the other, you know, five to seven exercises that they use are all sub-max compared to their squat. So they're maxing out one lift that, yes, makes up a large portion of their volume, but it's still only one lift. And their other max out lifts are a drop in percentage. I bet a lot of them fall within that 75 to 85% range. Like you're not going to front squat as much as you're going to back squat. You're sure as shit aren't going to clean and jerk as much as you're back squatting or snatch as much as your back squat. So, you know, my guess is that if you took, you know, I don't know enough about weightlifting to actually make a, a real guess on this, but if you took those exercises and base them off of what percent of their back squat one RM they are. I bet it hits all of those different intensity zones. So it gets back to what Louis was talking about with training different aspects of strength, 
right? Their weightlifters are doing it, right? The actual clean and jerk and the snatch are called the fast lifts for a reason, right? Powerlifting doesn't have fast lifts, but Louis institutes fast lifts within his programming. So, you know, he has his reasons for it and they make a lot of sense. Um, I'm sure the weightlifters, those coaches and stuff have those exact same reasons. I just don't know. I haven't, I haven't like looked that far into that stuff. So, you know, he came back and he's like, yes, theoretically, you know, that, that would definitely be the best way to go about doing it, you know? And it's like our two singles on a given day better than one. And it's like, I'm not so sure. I don't think so type of thing, right? So I started to think a lot about it. And when I was, you know, like if you look at something like Westside, like a lot of their volume comes from certain accessory movements. And I think in that that case, when you're just doing heavy singles that day, that makes more sense to me to use those accessories there to get that volume because you have to do a certain amount of work to get better. You can't just come in the gym 20 minutes, hit a top single and go home. Like I do think you have to do more than that. So in my head, I'm like, fuck, how, how can we hit these hard singles every day in the gym and be able to and be able to recover right we're not just squatting we get squat bench and deadlifts i'm not too worried about the bench because the bench doesn't really beat you up too much but when you look at so like john bros does a squat every day stuff but they only max out their deadlift two to three times a year so they basically just do like speed work with deadlifts but again they're weightlifters it doesn't matter how much they deadlift um Louie doesn't deadlift that often with the West Side guys, you know, but if you look at equipped lifting, those totals are built off of big squats and big benches. So that's going to be their main focus anyways. And they kind of alternate. I don't know, alternate if that's a good word or like, you know, I don't train at West Side, so I don't know. But it seems that they'll have a lower body max effort that will either be a squat or a deadlift. And it seems like they squat more often than they deadlift. So I personally... I don't think I can just get rid of the deadlift and not pull that often and be comfortable enough with my group to actually pull more. Um, You know, I think let's even like rewind to the beginning of this podcast when I was talking about like, fuck West Side, quip lifting doesn't carry over to raw. Like there are portions of that statement that are true. And I think this is one of them. I think raw lifters have to deadlift a little bit more than the equipped guys. I think it's just a little bit different from that aspect. Um, but at the end of the day, they're still doing the lifts and they're getting strong as shit. And there's a lot of things that you can take from it. So I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to take heavy singles with all the lifts and keep, you know, everybody standing upright, basically, you know, because you do hear horror stories about people in the Bulgarian method having to be brought to the gym by gunpoint, right? So there was, I was listening to an episode of the Weightlifting House podcast, and I, I believe it was a Romanian that was on there, and they were talking about how the majority of the Romanians that are on that Olympic weightlifting team, the actual Olympic team how the majority of them come from a certain region of Romania 
right? Like all the weightlifters just come from this like one spot, right? So it's very selective. Bulgaria, same thing, small, very selective area. But Russia is a huge continent that just pulls from a ton of different people. So the Russians used a ton of different variation and perhaps this is why, right? You just get a, a larger array of people and you're finding what works best for the culture of your country within, you know, for the strength sports. We're having very selective um, exercises and stuff for like Bul the Bulgarians, the Greeks, the Romanians apparently, like doing very selective stuff for a pool of people that are very selective anyways and they're very similar makes more sense to me right so like we have a large array of people that just that walk in and want to do powerlifting here in america and i i think that's great uh so i've always been you know 60 percent of my volume within the lifts with shako were variations so variations have always been a a huge piece of our programming so but in my head i'm like how am i gonna how am i gonna do these singles how how can this fucking work and then i so what i like to do and this is uh i'm rambling here and i don't give a shit it's my podcast i'll do what i want but i um i decided uh, a few weeks ago that I was going to reread some of the books that I read when I had first started coaching. So one of them was Squat Every Day. And what's interesting, like about this one book alone, when I first read it, I, literally that was my my take on it. I, you know, I was sharing a lifter with John Bros. So I was like, oh, let me read the book because I'm, you know, I'm curious. You know, I've always kind of been, I guess, curious in terms of coaching wanting to learn more so i close and i'm like oh that's interesting but at the time like i didn't have the so basically i say this a lot like i had access to that information but i didn't have the knowledge to truly understand it yet and it's funny like fast forward a little over four years i'm reading it again and i'm like jesus i literally could have written this book like this sounds like me writing it at this point so it's funny that like and that's what kind of gave me the idea to you know, do this, to do this podcast, to uh, write those couple of articles kind of showing where we were and where we came from. Cause it's like, man, I've changed a lot in that period of time. But again, I'm reading that book and it's like, well, they're just squatting. They're not benching and deadlifting. And you know, the author attempts to make some recommendations for deadlifts, but I was not a big fan of them. Um, even this time around reading it. So then I decided to pick up the West Side Book of Methods. So again, I read this when I had started at TPS. Like those guys loved loved West Side. So and you know my competitive nature. That's probably why I was pretty aggressive with the fuck West Side thing because it's I'm a better coach than you and all and all of those things, right? Um, you know, again, it's just that arrogant information without knowledge, right? You know, you know everything in your earlier days and. I was not the exception to the rule there. Um, so I'd read it back then, but I'd already had my mind made up of what I thought of Westside based off of what I read on the internet, what other lifters had told me. So I kind of just, I went into it with a, with a bad attitude, I, I'd say, but I, I'm, I've always been open-minded. So there was a part of me that was willing to, you know, listen and stuff. And I never like openly criticized Westside. You know, this was more, 
behind closed doors, I guess. Um, because I didn't think that there were reasons to do that. I mean, clearly, that guy's gotten a, a person or two pretty fucking strong. So, the first time that I had read it, like I was saying, I was just very... I'd already had my mind made up. It didn't make a lot of sense to me. I didn't have enough experience lifting to see these things. So, I have a few lifters who coach other lifters and they're pretty new at it and one of the things that I I really like harp on them with is just follow the rules see how it plays out you'll get stuck ask questions talk to other coaches like figure stuff out and you know you gradually make changes like one of the and you know the things that I think for me and how I run this group is we will always try things like those general principles will always be in the background. Science will always help guide these processes. But science has a shitload of blind spots. And as you start to like gain more experience, you get these ideas that are, I think this can work. And you just try it, right? And then, you know, so for me, I think like even the science aspect is I want to be able to explain my observations. So I do stuff, I observe, and then I try to understand. So that kind of seems to be how the process goes. I don't agree with, you know, science needs to guide the process. I don't think that's the point, right? So I don't want to come across as like one of those. And I, I don't think you can forget that... You know, somebody like Louis Simmons has been doing this for longer than I've been alive. Like, he knows a thing or two about getting people strong. Boris Shako has been doing this longer than I've been alive. He knows a thing or two about getting people strong. And, you know, the coaches from the coach's corner. My coach, Jeremy Hartman. Like, there's a bunch of people that I talk to that have been doing this a hell of a lot longer than me. And you can't disregard their their experiences just because science may not prove it to be true. And this is a lesson I've learned the hard way. Um, because, you know, I'd be the one that would find that study that would just prove my point. You know, like Westside's big on the hamstrings for the squat, right? And I read a study about how it's the hamstrings don't really do anything. It's all, it's all the quads in the bottom, in the bottom of the squat. Um, you know, I never thought about who they're doing these research studies on they're typically beginners who just drive their knees forward to initiate the squat anyways most people tend to have weak hamstrings and hips so they're going to lean on them on those quads for the strength anyways um so i never really put like two and two together but i was like oh it's all quads it's all quads and then when i started getting into the dynamics systems theory stuff i was like maybe it is just skill Right, that like it's not quad weakness because these people could hop on a leg press and just leg press way more than they squat. So it can't be a quad weakness. So then, you know, I decided to try the high bar wide stance squats to fix the pitching in the squat, and they worked. And according to EMG studies, wide stance squats should be more hips, right? So maybe it worked because it forced them to use their hips and hamstrings a little bit more, or maybe it worked because it did. You know, it punishes that pitching forward. Like if your feet are wide and that bar is high and you fall forward, you're going to miss the lift. So it punished that. So maybe there's a skill component to it too. It's probably a little bit of both. So, you know, it started to put some like, eh, 
I'm not too sure about the things that I've read before. Science has a lot of blind spots. And, you know, some of the information out there, a lot of it is built off of dogmatic belief. But it doesn't mean you shouldn't listen to it. Like those those lifters and those coaches that have been around a long time have figured this shit out just from kind of doing it, you know, from plugging away at things. And you can kind of learn from what they've learned at, at the same time. So... I'm opening up that book, The West Side Booker Methods, and I read one line where it's like, we use variations because rotating the variations around allows you to max out every week of the year. And in my head, I was like, there's the fucking answer. I literally do the same thing for my fives and fours and threes and twos and ones. Like we just, we can take top sets all of the time. You know, don't get me wrong. There are certain days you need to pull back because you feel like shit or something doesn't feel right. And that's fine. But for the majority of it, we are able to lift like that all of the time. We rotate variations all of the time. So it's, and that's why I put the variations in there is because variation allows you to do those things. And it's, I, I use that reasoning, but never once did it click in my head that I should do that for singles. I don't know why, like sometimes like those dots just don't get drawn. So one of the other things I, I really liked, and it's funny because like I'm reading the book of methods now and it's I it's almost like me going back and reading Squat Every Day and the West Side Book of Methods was like meant to be at this time. Because reading Squat Every Day, it's like, holy shit, like these basically all sound like the articles I write. This book sounds like the articles I write. And the West Side Book of Methods, I was having these conversations with some of my lifters before I read it about like the squat's slowing down and we probably need to pick up some speed and... Um, I had been sending emails to the group as well because people were just neglecting their warm-ups. And like I said, those warm-ups were extremely important in my head working up to that top set because that's your technique work, that's your speed work, that's all those other things. And it just wasn't happening. But the thing that really made up my mind was it's a combination, right? So Lenicky planted the seed saying that that one rep max is more specific to that sport and you should do it. Rotating how where we are now is kind of a combination of where we've come from in the past. So, you know, we started with the Shaco stuff, saw that there was something that wasn't working, started chasing those things that we thought would make things better. And as they did make things better, we kind of swung the pendulum too far. But where we are now, the seed was kind of planted. What we're doing now, the seed was kind of planted by Lenicky when he was, you know, he said that training one rep max would is the most sports-specific thing that you can do and theoretically would yield the greatest results. And I don't disagree with that. I think that makes a ton of sense to me. It's... You know, there's a lot of programs built off of the Bulgarian method. The Greeks do it. The Romanians do it. Westside does it. And reading that book of methods, you know, we're just... It sparked on me that if we rotate that max effort lift more frequently, you can get away with doing more. One rep max stuff. What I've learned about fatigue, you know, I think for two weeks it can allow us to be able to hit those max effort lifts for the squat, the deadlift, and the bench. And then we can just pull back and do, so I'm calling this a speed week. It's not really true speed work. It's not dynamic effort work. 
But I do believe that the majority of the fatigue that we we get in powerlifting is psychological in nature. Yes, there is some physical fatigue, but I believe the physical components, you know, they recover extremely fast. Yeah, DOMS may last a couple days, but as you get used to training, DOMS doesn't really go as as long. And when you talk to somebody like John Bros and you know, the squat everyday science that they mentioned in that book, you can train recovery. So yeah, maybe DOMS takes three days for a beginner to recover from it. But if you come into the gym and you move around and you start, you know, every more frequently you're going to the gym and you're training hard, you're training your body to recover. Um, so I do believe that those aspects can be trained. So I think that we can do a max effort squat on day one, a max effort bench on day two, a max effort deadlift on day three, and even maybe another max effort squat in there on day four. Like, you know, my lifters go anywhere from three to four days anyway, so it wouldn't always be that clean, but just as an example. But we're going to do that, you know, and there'll be two bench days in there regardless. Um, You know, so I have some people that do a max effort squat, max effort bench on day one. Then... You know, some lighter bench stuff, max effort deadlift day two, then another max effort squat, maybe max effort bench day three. And we might run that for two weeks and then we get into this speed week. So like I was saying, this is not true dynamic effort. It's not that light. It's not true power work. It's kind of just smoke and mirrors sometimes. 10 sets of two at 80% with a time limit of 30 or 25 minutes or something is very difficult. When you when I look at the last set RPEs for these lifters, they'll get up nine, nine and a half, eight and a half, like they're in those top set ranges that I want. So the effort is there, but it basically acts like a psychological deload. Seeing 80% on the bar is not the same as seeing max weights on that bar. So when you're constantly seeing near, above, or just below your max, lifts it's psychologically taxing it definitely is so having this every third week just throwing this speed week in there well actually it's not like max effort work but it's where i've always put the top sets so it's still quality reps it's still higher effort um so it's very similar to what we've been doing in the past it's just i'm going to give them that little bit of a psychological deload to hopefully keep everybody standing upright and of course we may have to make some changes along the way but I, you know, I think in the beginning, I, I swung, you know, like I was saying before, I swung the pendulum way too far to the right and kind of forgot about the things that we were doing in the past that worked. So, you know, the entire time that I was with Shaco, we had good success. And then, you know, it was hard to obviously keep that when you're doing less work in the gym, harder sets, but you're seeing better results. So it was easy for me to keep pushing that pendulum further to that side, but now I think we're in a spot where we can nicely balance it out. Um, so we'll come in, we'll do the max effort lift, we'll do back offs, very similar to what I was doing with Shaco before. You know, If I was doing five triples at 80% for squats, maybe now we do three triples because the way that it would work under a Shaco program is the effort gets higher each set that you do, right? There's some type of accumulated fatigue that builds set to set. And by the last one, it gets pretty, it gets pretty difficult at times. So I'll just cut the sets down on those to keep the RPE a little bit lower. But now I can, you know, and I can mess with volumes, intensities and all of that stuff in a very different manner. 
Um, and I can do that more with the backup stuff to do the stuff that I was doing when I was running a more Shaco like program. So I think this just brings some good balance and it gives them the ability to make better decisions in the gym. So I give my lifters a ton of, uh, flexibility and I think it got tough for them to make some of these decisions because they, they have lower training skills, they're beginners and, and that's fine. And I understood that. And I, I know that it's going to take them a while to develop and that's fine. But at the same time, it becomes a lot and they're kind of lost at times and there's missed opportunities in the gym to try to develop that training skill. And I think we can make it better. So now, you know, you do a max effort lift, you just keep putting it on you know until you can't anymore basically and then i'm giving them a percentage based off of that off of that lift so now the percentages will be a lot more exact to what i'm looking for and it kind of will help guide them better and help them put the weight on the bar that needs to be on the bar to get that training effect that we're looking for and then week to week we can make we can make those those adjustments and stuff and i also think this helps swing our number of lifts in each intensity zone to the appropriate one. Cause even like I was saying before, the Bulgarians and the Russians, the, they get about the same percentage of lifts, 90 plus percent as one another. And the majority of the work is still done within 75 to 85%. And I think this will put us in those ranges pretty nicely. Um, build some quality reps, reps that are faster to keep technique where we want it. And we'll, we'll include the speed of the rep in that, in that technical component. Um, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to see how it goes. It's kind of cool because this is a combination of not just what I've learned, but it's what we've learned as a collective group. And this is what our group is about. Like we try things, we observe what happens. And then that's when I, I'll go to the science and try to understand the whys at times. I think I've, you know, I think it's easy to latch on to cherry picked evidence that supports your thinking and kind of neglect the things that people have been saying for decades on what what's made them stronger i think there needs to be a balance uh with all of that stuff and i think at times it's easy to forget about what some of those older guys and older girls within the sport of powerlifting said made them strong because some scientific study says this this one thing and it might be that one thing that just attaches to your bias or your personality or whatever it may be so there needs to be like a, a nice balance within the process and you know i think i'm finally finding that that balance hopefully and of course as we see things we'll we'll make adjustments we'll continue to try new things um but i think you're starting to kind of see everything settle down into what a pps style program is going to look like generally um i think it's been coming in this direction for quite some time now and i think we're at a better spot now than we have been in the past and uh I'm looking forward to seeing some of these outcomes at Raw Nationals. Um, but for now, you can follow along on the internet. Uh, you can follow me, KWCAN, our team, Precision Powerlifting Systems. Uh, stay strong, Boston.